0: You are here. stop working, we never stop, we never stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working.
1: that God is. We want to welcome you here to East Hillswood Baptist Church this morning. That is our one desire is to worship Jesus. Amen. Not only to worship Jesus, but when we leave these doors, we tell a lost and dying world about our Jesus. Uh, We want to welcome you here this morning. If you're watching uh, online, we want to thank you for watching online. If you're in the parking lot, uh, let's all wave to the parking lot, even though they can't see us. We really appreciate you you all being here. We still have several people that are in the parking lot. I want to remind you that our first Sunday night service will be on November the 7th. Our first Wednesday night service will be on November the 10th. Okay. Also, we are having trunk and treat, and we want to encourage you. I don't know, Justin, do we have a sign-up for trunks yet? Yes, yeah, in the lobby. So if you will, sign up for trunks in the lobby. Uh, And we we really feel like this is something that we can do this year, so we're real excited about that. And let's continue our worship through prayer, and then you remain standing as, as the praise team leads us in song this morning. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. Father, I love singing songs about you and your attributes. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've extended to us. Father, we would not be saved were it not for grace. Father, we thank you that even after we're saved, Lord, that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we thank you that we can come and worship as a family. Lord, this is what you've called us to do. And Father, I pray that every song that's sung, prayer that's prayed, Father, the word that's preached would bring honor and glory to your name. Father, save for your glory. Convert for your glory. Father, I pray that you would... Lord, convict today for your glory. And we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Continue standing and let's worship together.
2: care upon him, for he cares for us. That's what we're going to do this morning. I have a few announcements that I want to make real quick, uh, For far as prayer is concerned. I want to pray for Tim Kiever. He was taken to the hospital this morning. I want you to lift him up in prayer. Uh, Judy Moose, my neighbor, she's been battling cancer for a long time, and the family's asked for us to pray for her today. And uh, I want to remember our Sunday school as we start back November the 7th. Seventh, I hope you'll be a part of that. And uh, another, another prayer request, we have five people going to New York for coats in the city, and we have very few coats out in our bins. We really need coats. We need warm winter coats. If you will bring a coat next Sunday, we would appreciate that. Uh, it's a ministry that North Carolina has been doing through our missions outreach in New York City, and we do that with Randy and Debbie Smith. And we share the gospel with everybody coming through, and it's a great opportunity. So would you bring a coat next week? and pray for us as we prepare to go. And then this this month, we all, always emphasize a missionary that we support. And if you look up on the screen, it's uh, Jack and Scotty Barnes. I kind of know them a little bit. And, uh, but anyway, they're our missionaries for October and they've been doing prison ministry for 21 years. They've seen hundreds and thousands of people come to Christ because they do nationwide ministry and outreach. I want you to pray for them and be a part of a volunteer in helping them to reach people that are incarcerated in their families. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much this morning. The Lord, we can lean on the everlasting arms. You're our strength. Lord, you're our help. Lord, you're the one we need every day. And Father, we thank you so much that we can cast all our care on you because you care for us. And Father, that you hear and that you answer prayers father i pray for tim i pray for his needs right now i pray you'd give him help and be with his family i pray for judy and roger lord and for david and the family there i pray you'd be with them and father meet their every need right now in jesus name and through the days and weeks to come and father we pray for sunday school that you'd bless it as we start back and lord begin to teach your word and lord to hear from you And, Father, as we go to New York, I pray you'd bless the team, and I pray you'd help us to reach out to the lost people, Lord, in Astoria, and, Lord, the people to be coming through there. And, Father, we just want to pray for that. Father, this morning we want to thank you, Lord, that we have you in our life. Thank you for being our Savior, and we love you because you first loved us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
1: Thank you, praise team. If you uh, I thought about that song, I was thinking what came to my mind was a message that I'm preaching today. And as I preach this message, I want you to understand that what the praise team was singing about applies to this message because the very last word of, of the verse that I'm going to share at the end of this message is mercy, right? God does not give you what you deserve. okay? So I want you to understand that if what I'm sharing today, okay, it's going to seem kind of harsh and kind of hard. But the reality is that God offers forgiveness. He offers mercy. He offers grace. He offers all those things. But it's a very important message. What, what I find ironic in David's life is that God sometimes when he writes the story in First and Second Samuel, it's like a blur. David's a teenager, then he's in the king's court. I mean, how many years passed? Then you come to David and Bathsheba and he slows it down for us. Why do you think that is? Because anybody can be a David, anybody can be a Bathsheba, okay? And I would say in Alexander County today, this message is very needed, all right? So if you'll stand with me, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of the more familiar uh, sections of scripture. And the title of the message is this The One Not Stand That Changed the Kingdom. Can a one not stand change a man? Yes. Can a one-night stand change a woman? Yes. Can a one-night stand change a kingdom? Absolutely, and it did. You have here in Second Samuel up through chapter eleven nothing but triumphs in David's life. From chapter thirteen on, there's or chapter twelve on, there's nothing but tragedy. And we're going to look at some of those. And we're going we're going to spend two Sundays in this section. One in chapter 12, and then we're going to look at some of, very briefly, or in a very fast manner, some of the tragedies that happened because of this, okay? So notice what the Bible says, just five verses we're going to look at this morning. And it happened, stop right there. What happened? And it happened. Something major happened. When John wrote the book of Revelation, he would say, behold, which means there's something changing. Well, in the Old Testament, they'll say, and it happened, and that means that something major happened. Look, and it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Look at that but. One of the buts in the Bible. But David stayed in Jerusalem. And I would say this, and I don't think I'm being over spiritual. David was, would have been safer in the battle than he was in Jerusalem, in my opinion. Now, notice, then it happened. There it is again. One evening that David arose from his bed, laying in bed, just laying in bed, one evening, just laying in bed, and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw look at that word saw, it's very important. A woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now, God said this. So if God says she's beautiful in his eyes, she was a beautiful woman. So let's just understand David's alone, apparently on the roof of his house and he sees this woman bathing and she's beautiful. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba? Don't you th- aren't you thankful for people like that in your life? Hold up. Is this not Bathsheba? Is this not her? Hold up. Now look, the daughter of Eliam then, then gives the girl's daddy's name, then gives her husband's name. They're saying, hold on, I'm going to tell you her name, her daddy's name and her husband's name. I hope you got people like that in your life. Hold up. She's married. This is her daddy, and this is her husband. You can't get much more personal than that, can you? Now listen, look at me. I hope you have somebody like that in your life. The messengers did a good thing. He's the king. They're nobodies. But they do say this. Hold up. Her name is Bathsheba. Her daddy's name is this, and her husband's name is this. You, can't get much, you cannot say stop. That, what they're saying is stop. This is amazing what they're doing. And then they're going to say this is not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. And then they say the Hittites. That's very important. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then David sent messengers and took her. Look at these verbs. Took her. She came to him. He lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity. And then she returned to her house. One night stand. No when a man loves a woman was being played. All right. Now notice verse 5. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am a child. A one-night stand that changed an entire kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to tell you that we love you today. Father, I'm so thankful for each and every person here. Lord, you offer grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Lord, none of us are better than David and Bathsheba. Father, your word says, take heed lest you fall. And Lord, we're not looking at this verse as outsiders throwing rocks. We're looking, thanking you for the grace and mercy that we've received in your life, Father. And we just want to tell you today that we love you. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, amen, or oh me. (laughs) As we've been looking at the life of David, this is what we've seen by David. David was Israel's greatest king, greatest poet, greatest musician, Greatest warrior, and he was also, now listen, this is important about this message. He was Israel's greatest repenter. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 have helped so many people. It's helped my life, okay? All those came after this incident. It's sad that it had to get to that point, but it did. But I do want to warn you, there's a spiritual principle, and spiritual principles apply to everybody. They apply to everybody. The, the, the pulpit and the pew. Notice this spiritual principle. The Bible says this. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. He says, if you sow to the Spirit, you better believe you're going to reap to the Spirit. Isn't that a blessing? If you sow good things, spiritually speaking, God says you're going to reap them. God says, I promise to bless that. What you sow today, spiritually, God says he will bless in the future. How How many of you have, don't raise your hand, but how many of you prayed for a lost person for a long time, whether it be your family member or friend, and then eventually God saves them? You sowed into that, and then you reaped it. He also says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. David was not immune to that. Sin has consequences. Listen, I heard uh, David Legg say this. He's a wonderful pastor. He says, God operates, I mean, it's like a courtroom setting. All sin has consequences, and even sometimes when we confess, the governmental causes of that, okay, do not go away, all right? Look, for instance, if you go out here and you speed today, and you're going 125 into 55 you can confess your sins all you want to, but they're going to take your license okay? because you, you just reaped what you sowed. You can, you can go to the courtroom and pray you can fast the whole church can pray for you, you're going to lose your license. I remember going to county jail one time to a guy who uh, after he got in trouble I led him to the Lord right? and he was in jail, he was guilty, he admitted it and another preacher had gone to him, kind of a more name it claim it and he said, he said, Jamie, he said, I think I'm going to be found not guilty today. <laughs> I said, no, you're not. You're not, brother. It's okay, you're not. You owe your debt, pay your debt. Maybe the judge will show mercy, but you're guilty. No, 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 no. I prayed about it. All right. Guess what? He was booked up state, spent six months in jail, got out, and he was a better man for it. Because he was what? Guilty. God is not mocked for what everyone sows that he or she will also reap. And that's what David finds out. But think about this, how did David get here? How did David get here? How did David get here? See the conception of sin is this, it's it's a progression over time. And there there are about four or five things that David did that we'll look very quickly to that happens to all of us, okay? It happens to every one of us, if we get to this point, this is what happens. And one man said this, is it possible to erase a lifetime of usefulness in one moment of weakness? I say it is. How does sin conceive itself? What happened to David is a case study for all of us, male or female. Notice what first thing that he did. David lost his sensitivity to sin. What once was sinful to David became, "Ah, that's not so bad. It's not so bad. Think about this. Paul told the church at Corinth. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. David understood that. Flee it. He understood he was raised a God-fearing Jewish boy. He understood it. He understood the Torah. He understood the laws. He understood all that. Look at the word flee, or think about the word flee in 1 Corinthians 18. This is a picture of it. This is what you do. See, this is the difference between Joseph as a young man and David as a man probably in his 50s. Joseph's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife comes to him. You know what she says every day? The Bible says she was pretty too. She was very, uh, she wasn't very, uh, she didn't hide her emotions, she said this, lay with me, <laughs> that's what she said all alone the house, lay with me, lay with me, lay with me. Joseph at the height of his hormonal development, okay, every day, he was a virgin, she was beautiful, he's in Potiphar's house, nobody's there. And she says, lay with me, Joseph, lay with me, Joseph, and you know what Joseph does? He flees. It says, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He fleed immorality. He was sensitive to sin. As a matter of fact, this is what he told her before. He said, he is not, he talking about Potiphar. He, he says, how can I do this to Potiphar? He is not greater in this house than I am. He says, he's made us by almost equals, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. And then he says this, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, David lost his sensitivity to sin because he forgot that sin was a sin against God. Not just against himself, but it was a sin against God. Now, notice what happens to David here in 2 Samuel. Notice this. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. Uh Uh-oh. See, that was culturally acceptable in the day, but God said for a king it was not. Think about this. Why is this wrong when culturally it was acceptable? David was a king. Because back in Deuteronomy 17, God revealed to Moses three prohibitions for kings. They were not allowed to multiply horses. They couldn't increase their personal wealth of gold or silver. And thirdly, they could not multiply wives. Now listen to this. John Popper says this. In other words, kings were, um, were to model humility be non-materialistic in their pursuits, and practice monogamy. To do otherwise would effectively defy God's created order as well as abandon trust in His provision and protection. Why? Multiplying horses related to military power, increasing gold and silver related to materialistic pursuits, multiplying wives related to moral purity in a brutal, materialistic, polygamous world. The king over God's people was to set an example even when the people did not. He goes on to say this, David will consistently slay the enemy's horses whenever victorious in battle. He will consistently bring the gold and silver into the temple, but when it comes to the matter of the opposite sex, he will fail time and time again. In that culture, for an average average Joe, it was culturally acceptable and perfectly legal to multiply lives. But I want you to understand this. David was effectively endorsing culturally acceptable practices in his kingdom when it comes to sexual ethics. And I want to tell you something today. America, American churches are doing the same thing. The world is depraved, and we expect that, but many churches and members are accepting culturally acceptable practices when God says no. Case in point, do you realize that there are are males participating in women's sports in America today? Don't you find that strange? There are men winning beauty peasants, pageants and using women's bathrooms and some churches are at odds with what to do about it because it's culturally acceptable our stance here and I think science stance is this there are two genders only Jesus said in the beginning God made them male and female marriage is between a man and a woman men can't have babies or a menstrual cycle and I think science will back me up on that but it's culturally acceptable to go the other way Paul fought this in Corinth He said that's why Paul said this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this, this great verse, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You were that, but you're not that now because you've been born again. This hasn't changed. The culture in Corinth was worse than ours, even though America is heading that way. We've lost our sensitivity to sin. Okay? We have. What is culturally acceptable isn't always acceptable in the church, amen, or in the Bible. David accepted what was culturally acceptable and applied it to his lives, and it ruined his kingdom. He lost his sensitivity to sin. He also lost his discipline. Notice verse 1 on the screen. The Bible says this, and it happened in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle. He was a warrior. Go out to battle, David. You're a fighter. Go to battle. That was his discipline. He was disciplined as a warrior. But here he's sleeping in bed till evening. What? Are you still in bed, David? In the evening? You're supposed to be in the battle? Listen to what one one, uh, scholar says. He says, now, by at this juncture in David's life, it has to be said, at the pin- this is the pinnacle of his life and his reign. He goes on to say this, he has hit midlife without crisis. It seems he has everything. He is artistic, we know that from the Psalms. He is intelligent, he is wealthy, he has got charisma and popularity. He is a great man, he is a godly man. But we see from these two portions of scripture, how the mighty have fallen. We stand back and ask this question, how could this be? Notice, in the spring of the year winter is over, the rainy season has passed, it's not time for harvest. This is the time when battle would be resumed and Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for peace, there's a time for war. And this is a time for war. Another scholar says he relaxed from the rigors and the drilling of military discipline that he had known all his life. He should have been at battle. It is clear but the last phrase of the first verse of chapter 11 says that he stayed in Jerusalem. Imagine He says, David was in more danger in Jerusalem than he was on the battlefield. And I would say this, how many men especially have left the battlefield? How many have? And what we're picking up are golf clubs, fishing rods, shotguns. Nothing wrong with those things. But men, you're called to be soldiers in God's army. And your place is in the church. God may change what you do in the church, but He'll never change the fact that you're to come to church. And that church is necessary. I find that men, especially as they get older, in retirement years, that, that go off the battlefield, if you will, who relax, who, who lose their discipline, can end up in a mess. A lifetime of serving God can be gone in a weak moment. So please be careful. Listen to this thought. When we relax and let our guard down spiritually, then we're wide open to the devil. We become spiritually unguarded. That's what David did. He took his armor off. And when we relax in our spiritual disciplines, that's Basically, what we do, we lay aside our armor and give occasion to the devil. Let me ask you this question. This applies to everybody. How can we lose our discipline? When is the last time you spent God with God? Spent time with God? How often do you spend time in God's Word? Have you prayed today? What are your spiritual disciplines in your life? When you start laxing in those areas, you're opening up a door. Paul told the church at Ephesus, do not give the devil a foothold, which means this do not leave the door open. Just shut the door. See, what David did, he lacked discipline. He left the door open. And this is what happened to him. Not only that, but think about this. The third thing he does is he loses his focus. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now think about this for a minute. Look at the word saw. It gives the idea of a first glance and then a continual gazing, he couldn't take his eyes off of her. And one scholar put it this way, the first glance perhaps was unavoidable, but the second stare, that became David's problem. Because in that second stare, he became fixated. He, he became a fixated voyeur. One author put it this way, David, who had been a man after God's own heart, became a dirty, luring old man. A lustful fixation came over him that would not be desired, de- denied. So I ask you this question, what are you focusing on today? What is your focus on? What are your eyes seeing? What are you looking at on a daily basis? What is your focus on? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when lust takes control, at that moment God loses all reality. Listen to that again. When lust takes control, God loses all reality. I've counseled too many people, and I would say amen to that. When lust takes control, they're like, who's God? Who is He? Oh, God don't care. You've lost all reality of who God is because your lust has overtaken you. Did you hear that? When lust takes control, at that moment God loses reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Do you think David's thinking about God right here? He's doing this. He's not thinking about God. He's not thinking about writing psalms. He's thinking about something else. Notice, he goes on to say this, that's what happened to David. He forgot all the psalms he had composed. He forgot all his great prayers and praise. His focus was was lost from God and was now on this immodest form of a bathing woman. He did not keep the fear of God before him, his eyes, and so often we do not do the same. In Psalm 16 he says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand, I shall not be moved. You see, we forget that God is there when we forget God is seeing. God is watching what we're watching, God is witnessing what we're witnessing. That's why the psalmist in another place in Psalm 101 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. That's why Job says this, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a virgin? Or in another translation, he said, why should I lust after a girl? David has lost his focus. Notice what Colossians tells us to do as Christians in our spiritual disciplines. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting, at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. In verse 2, David's not setting his mind, is he? I think it's pretty obvious. He's a grown man, probably in his 50s, maybe 60s. Okay, and he's here watching this young girl taking a bath. And it says he couldn't take his eyes off of her. Maybe he couldn't avoid seeing her the first time, but the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. And I'm sure he rationalized and was making excuses. Now, think about this. He lost his sensitivity, he lost his discipline, he lost his focus. And notice this, the fourth thing is he begins to rationalize sin. Notice what he does. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Notice, the Bible says, so David sent and inquired. You know what that is? That's the first text message in the Old Testament. He sent. Hey girl. What's your name? How are you looking? How are you feeling? Think about this. Who are you in communication with? And why? Do you realize that the first step to an affair usually starts with your phone? Oh, it's proven fact. Notice these steps to an affair on the screen. I've shared them with you before. Texting, usually the first step. Snapchatting, Instagram, and Facebooking. I think uh, one news agency about six years ago did a a study on social media and said sixty percent of the affairs that were reported that year were started through Facebook now you got Snapchat, Instagram and all those things so you don't really necessarily have to text but you can just send a message y'all all all up in my DM's, you ever heard that? yeah you're liking my picture (laughs) okay, trust me, this guy's counseled with a lot of people Starts out texting, then you start sharing emotions. Let me tell you about my marriage. Don't tell anybody the opposite sex about your marriage. There's no reason to. Dishonesty with my mate. You start lying. You start deleting texts. Then you start flirting and teasing. Then you go through the whole thing: deceit, cover-ups, kissing, and embracing, and then eventually adultery. I would ask you this, okay? If you're here and you're in an emotional relationship with a person of the opposite sex and you're married, what step are you on? Because you're on one of the steps. And see, David would rationalize it. It's just a text. They just need counseling. We're just out to eat. It's just a gift. What are you so uptight about? Why are you always so defensive? I've heard that a hundred times from spouses in my office. He or she's always so defensive. You've got a right to be. Why do you delete text? Why are you meeting with somebody in public eating? Why are you covering these things up? So you begin to rationalize your sin. And David said, sent his messengers to her and said, Who is she? Bathsheba, daughter of Eli. Ah, oh, no big deal. Wife of Uriah the Hittite, no big deal. No big deal. Let's just rationalize our sin just a little bit. Listen to what one person said: an affair happens when we change wrong into not really wrong, then into not as wrong, followed by not wrong for me, and eventually must be right and finally into right. It happens when we redefine cheating in terms of a single act. Texas is not wrong. Well, it might be wrong for you, it's not wrong for me. Okay. Going out to eat with somebody may be wrong for you but it's not for me. I didn't tell my spouse about it. It may be wrong for you but it's not wrong for me. Okay. We're, we're meeting secretly going to this place. It may be wrong for you but it's right for me. I've heard that a hundred times. It may be wrong for you, it's right for me rationalizing your sin. Well, all we did was hug. We just kissed one time. What are you, crazy? This is David, rationalizing sin. Listen, David did exactly what all of us do when we sin. We rationalize it until, he rationalized it until he silenced his conscience and quashed his guilt. Now look what the messengers do. Isn't this Bathsheba, go back to that verse, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? In other words, now think about how important this is. In other words, David says, they're saying, David, I know what you're thinking, but come on, don't you know she's Bathsheba from the family of Eliam? Bathsheba's woodenly translated name means daughter of seven, which more likely means the seventh daughter. And that, what that means, here's a couple that kept trying to have a son They kept having girls. The messenger also adds, he says, she's the daughter of Eliam. And here's where it gets interesting. Listen to this, through the the study I did. Eliam was the son of Ahithophel, the trusted counselor of David. In other words, this is the granddaughter of David's chief counselor. Don't get much worse than that, does it? Oh, yeah, it does. Which explains to us why Ahithophel will later abandon David and support Absalom's attempt to take the throne of Israel. I could never understand, is what one pastor said, why Ahithophel, so near the end of his revered and respected career would suddenly leave David and actually tell Absalom how to kill his father, it finally made sense when I found out this connection Ahithophel had been seething for years because of what David had done to rip his family apart. Man, you're gonna see Ahithophel really get back at David because he took his granddaughter and ripped his family apart but the messenger isn't finished typically introductions stop the name of the father or grandfather, the spouse is rarely introduced here But he says, that beautiful lady down there is married, and she's off limits, but she's married to Uriah the Hittite. Why would they say the Hittite? Because Uriah, whose name means this, Yahweh is my life, converted his life to Judaism and became one of David's first and most trusted followers. My goodness, how does David rationalize his sin to do this to his trusted counselor's granddaughter, and also to one of his best men who basically was a Hittite, a depraved, spiritually depraved person who converted to Judaism and was on the battlefield putting his life on the line for David and had since he'd been on the run. My goodness gracious. Was she that pretty, David? Is this one not stand worth that much to you? You know what David said? Yep. Israel's greatest king, if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. Are you rationalizing sin right now? Are you? Only you know. Only you. Only you know. Only you can tell us. Think about this too. In First Thessalonians, when it talks about uh, sexual morality, Paul's telling the church of Thessalonica, get rid of it. Don't do it. Don't let it come into your life. And he says. And then he says this. When he talks about sexual morality, it means premarital sex and also adultery. He says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner. Isn't it amazing that adultery usually happens between those that are closest to each other? Your I and David were friends. Isn't it amazing how much adultery happens between travel ball teams, people that go on vacation together, people that eat out together. Isn't it amazing? The Bible is very clear, isn't it, that you defraud your brother, one of your best friends. I don't know how many times in my office I've heard this. I thought we were friends. We did everything together. And now they're together. Sad times, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how the Bible is so much, so practical today? I would tell you, if you're on one of the steps, today would be a day to confess it and forsake it. Because Alexander County is overrun with this mess. And and, and the more people stay out of church and watch Charles Stanley and David Jeremiah, that's not a substitute. You'll see more and more of this. It's just going to happen over and over again because they're not in the church. David, finally, look at this David lost his mind. Look at verse 4 notice what the Bible says David sent messengers and took her she came to him, he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and then she returned home 15 minutes and I ruined my life what a blessing what a man anybody want to be like David? I sure hope not that's every affair in America right there that's everyone not standing in America right there. We got together, we hooked up, we left. I'm married, she's married, what's the big deal? It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Then she returned, Look, let's read it. Then David sent messengers, took her, she came to him, he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, which just basically says this, only David could be the daddy, that's why God put it in there. Then she returned to her house. One, one pastor said, no soft music, no romance, no candles, No connection, just cold, heartless, uncaring, selfish facts. But notice what happens next. Notice the consequences of sin. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I'm a child. Hmm. And all the things that happened from this point on in David's life was because of verse 4. Just a few minutes. He took her, she came, they laid, she went back home. Sounds, sounds sad, don't it? Every affair in America is the same way. They got together, they lay together, they go back home, the end. They think nothing's going to happen. Then she sends a note back, you better send this to David. I'm a child. Now I'll say this, what I said at the beginning, you reap what you sow, whether it's good or bad. David could have stopped all along the way, he was the king. She could have stopped all along the way, as far as I know. Ladies, she could have said no as well. There comes a time in your life when you have to stop making excuses and take responsibility for your actions. That's why I ask you, if you're on one of the steps, today would be a good day to stop. Notice this verse. This is the verse we'll start out with next week. But he who covers his sin will not prosper. That's all of us. That's a principle as well. same for me as it is for you. But whoever confesses and forsakes They go together A lot of people confess I'm sorry God But do you forsake it? But whoever confesses and forsakes them Will have, let's say it together Mercy That's a promise I've seen God take families that were broken And because they confessed and forsook them, their sins They're stronger today than they were then and Then I've seen people that live in deception Deception, 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 deception not only is their marriage a mess, but their their relationship with the Lord will never be the same until this happens. This is a promise. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses it, and that means you agree with God, this is wrong. I'm guilty. When is the last time you just bowed your head and told God, I'm guilty, I did this. And God, with your help, I'm going to forsake it. I know it's wrong, God, and it's okay to say I need your help to stop doing this, but God, I am guilty. When is the last time you said, I am at fault? That's where repentance comes. It's not, I made a mistake, you didn't make a mistake, you did it. I've never made a mistake in my life unless it comes to adding or subtracting or spelling, right, or driving. But when I sin, I sin because I want to. I know there's a line and I cross it. And I get forgiveness and repentance comes when I say, God I am sorry, And with your help, by your grace, I'll make this right and I'm going to forsake it. And what I'd say to you today is this. I I share this story every time I share a message like this. Bruce Wilkinson said he was at uh, an event, a men's conference. I think there were about 2,000 men. It was an outdoor event. Okay, it was at night. They were on like bleachers. It was a long time ago. He preached on the altar. He said, some of y'all need to confess and forsake And he says, for some of y'all, that starts with going to that payphone. That's right there. You remember payphones? Does that one up there still work? I don't think it does, but we'll have to try. But he says says this. Listen to what I'm saying. You want to get right with God? Go up there and make the call. Tell the girl it's over. He said, I'm talking about repentance. Tonight. We ain't playing no music. We're just praying. And I'll stand here until we're done. If nobody goes, we'll go home. You know what happened? Old boy got up. He said, I remember hearing the boy, he had, to, he, had a, he had a wallet with a chain on it. And he said, everybody stood there. And he said, he was wearing boots. He got up and he started walking. He said, it was gravel. You could hear every step he took. And about that time, you heard that quarter drop in that phone. And then he said, men, several men got up and just got in line at a very safe distance to make things right. Some of you need to take the quarter out and make a call today. Today. If you're watching online, make the call today and make things right. Make things right with your spouse. Confess and forsake, and then you'll receive mercy, which means this I do not get what I deserve, spiritually speaking. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna ask your musicians to come. I'll ask you this question are you in an immoral relationship right now if so confess it to God you don't got to tell me it's none of my business but you must confess it to the Lord and forsake it which means you drop the quarter today you don't wait You, you may need to confess it to your spouse confess it if you want mercy then you confess and forsake it today don't rationalize it when you leave here because you'll, you'll justify what you're doing and make excuses for it. Confess and forsake it today. Are you on one of the steps, which means you're getting close? You know if you are, confess it to God and stop. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Christ, same thing applies. Confess you're a sinner. Don't rationalize your sin and say you're okay because you're not. Place your faith in the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He alone saves. Confess that you're unworthy of salvation but, and your righteousness will never get you into heaven. And place your faith and trust in the shed blood and the resurrected Christ today. And ask the Lord to save you today. If you're in need of salvation, if you're in need of mercy, turn to Jesus. As the praise team so wonderfully sung a while ago, there is mercy, there is love, and there is grace with Jesus, but it starts with confessing and forsaking. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to tell you that we love you. Father, we want to thank you for the lessons from David. Father, I pray that we will apply these lessons to our heart. And Lord, remember the promise you made that if we will confess and forsake our sins that Lord we will receive mercy that applies to all sins not just these sins and Father I pray that we'd be a confessing repenting people I pray that we'd be a forsaken people or forsaken the wrong in our life and Father I pray that we'd leave here Lord with the good news to all people that you're a God of mercy and you're a God of salvation And Lord, if there are any family members that have been through this, I know it's a hurtful thing, Lord, but you can heal and you can bring good out of a bad situation. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Lord, I've seen it too many times, and I want to thank you for it. Father, we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. We'll stand together and let's sing a verse before we leave. Thank you so much for being here today.